Welcome to a Practical Idealist podcast, aligning what is good with what is possible. I'm your host, Allison Bueller, and the focus on this show is real change for better health, home, and community. two teenage boys at my house right now and a tween girl. Teens and all that come along with them are on my mind. So when I saw that an old friend had published a book called The Self-Compassionate Teen, I had to invite her on the show. Self-compassion and teens do not automatically go hand in hand, and many of us carry the self-criticizing voice that develops in our minds as teens into adulthood. I ordered her book in hopes of helping my teens reframe their inner critic and I'm hoping today that you'll learn how to. If you've been following the show, you may have noticed a difference in the introduction. I began this program out of the nonprofit organization, the Homestead Education Center. We made the tough decision to close the actual center and keep the online facets of the nonprofit so that I can care for my parents three days a week. Over the years, that nonprofit has raised $96,000 that went into local projects all over the place. And this year, we tried something new. I'm a big believer in the fact that we shape our world with two things, more than two things, but I want to focus on these two things, our thoughts and our purchases. I've spent years learning to change my thoughts so that they don't run in the same old negative patterns. Those patterns shaped what and how I saw and experienced the world and the people around me. I've also spent the last 10 years trying to become more intentional with the power of my dollar. If I want clean food, I need to support it. If I want clean products that don't harm my kids or my health or the earth, I vote with my purchase. That's why I thought this year's Helping Hands holiday campaign should give people the option to make some switches. Our projects at the King Center get 10 to 25% of every purchase that you make on the recommendations page on the website at www.apracticalidealist.com. These are companies I use and believe in. I don't want you to buy more stuff or new stuff or things that you could get locally, but I am asking you to choose one thing on the page from shampoo to garbage bags to makeup and make a healthy, clean switch. Right now, we are several orders away from earning 30% on all orders from Beauty Counter. This is my favorite company. I wanna be transparent in the fact that I am not making any money for pushing these products. All the money goes to the King Center. And I hope you'll join me in supporting this place that changes so many lives by making an affiliate purchase on the website. I just submitted a grant yesterday that would provide a summer program to help close the achievement gap exacerbated by COVID at the center, which is just one way this little community center serves some of our most vulnerable families. The goal at the King Center is creating pathways to prosperity. Every penny spent on the website goes directly into those projects. I use these companies, I believe in their mission, and this month alone we've made almost $1,000 from people switching to healthy makeup. Beauty Counter is one of the only EWG verified makeup and personal care companies. I just ordered my second counter time skincare set in two years. It's lasted an entire year and made me no longer hate pictures so much. Jump over to the website at www.apracticalidealist.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome, Karen. 
Well, thank you for sitting through my little infomercial, but that is how we fund really important projects. And so I thank you for being patient and for being patient with me as we caught up. It took Karen and I about a, uh, two months to make this podcast happen. <laughs> She's a very busy woman and I'm a very scattered woman at the moment. So we, uh, we really have, have worked hard to come together and, and share what she has to say about self-compassion in teens. Welcome, Karen. So when I met you, you were right where I am now, in the midst of raising two beautiful teens. What about your experience as a mom and then later professionally convinced you that self-compassion was such an important topic for teens? Um, well, actually, it happened before that. It happened when I was a teen, and I had a really rough time as a teen. Uh, it was a particularly difficult period of my life. And I somehow knew in my gut that it didn't have to be this hard, that there was a way, um, something out there that could help teens uh, better navigate this period without so much stress. And um, I had started practicing mindfulness um, when I was a teen, actually, when I was about 17. And that was an anchor throughout my whole adult life. And when I went back for um, my my PhD in uh, 2008, I started looking into some of the literature on mindfulness and on teens, and there wasn't anything, um, or there's very little mindfulness literature at the time. There was nothing on self-compassion, but so I, I started doing my work then and started looking into uh, some of the um, some of the ways that we could help teens better navigate this period and. Um, I started uh, implementing studies at that at that time. I had read Kristen Neff's book on self-compassion for adults several years ago. And so I knew it was a powerful skill. And she wrote the forward in your book. Can you talk about what's unique about teens and their brains and development that we need to understand versus just mindfulness for adults and self-compassion for adults? Yeah, well, teens are going through this very challenging time where there's a lot going on. First of all, there's a lot going on physiologically in their brains. Their brains are going through um, a massive kind of restructuring of the architecture of their brains. There's two different parts of the brain that are going that are undergoing change. One is the cognitive control center or the prefrontal cortex, which is uh, starts. Uh, going through changes around the time of 11 or 12 and doesn't finish until uh, the individual's t about 25. And then there's the limbic system change that starts around the same time, around the time they're 11 or 12, and finishes around the time fi they're 15 or 16. The limbic system is responsible for uh, their emotional center, whereas the prefrontal cortex is more in involved with logical thinking and making decisions. So when you have one part of the brain that's uh, the emotional center that's um, completely developed, and then the prefrontal cortex, which is about decision making, which isn't nearly as developed, then the emotional center is going to uh, be what's taking over. So we'll describe this as like having a gas pedal with no brake. Mm -hmm. so you can imagine that the uh, emotions are really heightened without having that part of the brain to control it. So that's just what's going on in the brain. There's also all these hormonal changes, of course, that we know about that create heightened emotionality. 
socially there's a lot going on um, especially now during the time of COVID when what teens need more than ever is to be uh, with their friends to be um, trying new trying on new identities to be experimenting with um, different interests that they have and and now during the time of COVID, you can't do that. You know, they're much more limited. So it's particularly trying now. And then academically, teens report that um, academic stress is one of the biggest stresses, if not the biggest stress that they have. And they report this not only during uh, the year, during the academic year, but also during the summer. It's enormously stressful, much more stressful than, than when we were teens. And of course, uh, uh, social media has a lot to do with the amount of stress that teens experience. There's no getting away, you know, there's no safe place. They can't go home and close the door and go into their bedrooms and feel safe. There's always this um, uh, social media makes it possible. So there's always this link to somebody who could possibly be um, out there criticizing them or uh, threatening something about them. Yeah, and I love that you you address that in your book. Many of us aren't even aware, even adults aren't aware of the critic that's in our heads all the time. And you start the book with that important piece using mindfulness to become aware of that voice. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I think um, this is something that I find is true for uh, most everyone. I teach not just teens, I also teach adults. And what we know is that nearly all of us have this inner voice, this inner critic that criticizes us, that has this constant commentary going on about commenting on what we what we say that we think maybe wasn't exactly the right thing to say or something that we did that we feel like isn't wasn't right and constantly criticizing us basically and teens are particularly aware of this um, of this voice that's going on uh, inside their heads that's critical and so one of the things so we need mindfulness to bring awareness to bring greater awareness to when that is happening and then one of the big uh, things that we teach teens and adults when we're teaching self-compassion is how we don't necessarily have to listen to that voice, how that voice is not the voice of truth. You know, when we don't have the awareness, we think it is the voice of truth. We think that this is the voice, you know, that is um, the only voice that, mm. that we have. But when we start to notice that this voice is just one voice in our head, not necessarily telling us the truth, we we don't necessarily have to listen to it and we can just um, acknowledge it and, and say, okay, this is one voice, but we can access a kinder voice, a more compassionate voice that we have within us that um, also wants us to do well and cares about us, but, um, but does it in a different way, makes its comments in a much more compassionate way. Yeah, and teaching kids mindfulness is a whole nother podcast, so we're going to have to assume that 
you know, our listeners are going to have to go back and listen to some information on how to teach kids mindfulness or to do some education uh, education themselves on how to practice mindfulness. So mm-hmm. that could take a whole nother, another program. But I love Dan Harris's book, 10% Happier. He said, yes. mindfulness showed me that there was a voice in my head and, and that that voice was pretty much an asshole. <laughs> I never realized what an asshole that voice was until I started Mm -hmm. practicing mindfulness and becoming aware of how much time it spends criticizing me. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about Mm -hmm. becoming aware and then separating from that voice and then finding, like you say, a a different kinder voice. So when we teach Mm -hmm. our teens how to become aware of that critic, how do we help them make the shift to self-compassion? Some of it is... is, um natural because once they start seeing how much they criticize themselves and how much time, as Dan Harris said, how much time they spend in their heads with this voice, um, hearing this constant criticism, they realize, you know, I don't have to do this. I don't have to beat myself up like this constantly. You know, I don't have to spend all this time and energy listening to this voice and feeling badly about myself. You know, once the awareness is there, the shift uh, for most people happens um, naturally. Um, We also scaffold it by doing a couple of exercises. And one of the exercises is um, listening to how they treat their friends when their friends are struggling or when their friends are having a hard time. Um, What do they say to their friends? What words do they say to their friends? And what tone of voice do they use? And then we look at how they uh, talk to themselves when they're having a hard time. What words do they say to themselves? What tone of voice do they use? And we do this actually in the first class when we teach our eight session long self-compassion class. Uh, This is a practice that we do in the, or an exercise that we do in the first class. And so they right away see that, wow, they treat themselves so much more harshly. They treat their friends. They say things to themselves that they would never in a million years say to their friends. And when they realize that, they think, you know, wow, I, you know, I, I really don't have to do this, you know, and As one teen said in a class one time, you know, I'm a person too. And if I can say this to my friends, if I could be kind to my friends, you know, my friends are people and my friends are kind to me, then why can't I just be kind to myself? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you see in your studies when you're in your classes, when you're doing these things? What, What kind of transformations do you see in kids? Well, that's the part that's really fulfilling and uh, makes it all worthwhile, you know. Well, in the studies, what we've seen is lower anxiety and depression and lower stress from pre to post. Hmm. Um, the more they practice, the more they um, get into the habit of implementing some of these skills and tools that we teach them, um, you know, the more effects we see. Um but they they uh, comment about how much it's changed their perspective on themselves and and the shift, um, just a, a, a shift in the way they see the world and the way they relate to themselves. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. Try not to, but I do my fair share of criticizing my kids along with their own critic in their head. So 
I mean, I, I'm trying to learn different tools and to understand that, you know, nagging and repeating myself does not, is not effective. But as parents, we find, you know, you find with teenagers, especially if I don't say this 50 times, it's never going to happen. But what are we mm-hmm. doing to add to that critic? And what are we doing? What can we do to change what, what, how we're fueling that critic? Yeah, it's a, it's tough. It's tough. And I know that as a parent, too, because of course, you want your kids to be successful, you want your kids to develop good habits. And so you want them to be able to see when this is happening and when it's not happening. But um, I actually think the best thing that parents can do to um, help their kids get into the habit of being more compassion to themselves is to model self-compassion themselves. So when they make a mistake or um, something doesn't go right for them, they burn the rice or whatever, rather than saying to themselves, oh, I'm such an idiot. Look what I did. I burned the rice. Mm -hmm. You know, saying, well, you know, this happened and, you know, maybe it happened because I was distracted. I was doing too many things at once or you know, uh, but next time I'm going to try to pay more attention and maybe not do so many things at once. I'm a human being and human beings make mistakes. And um, yeah, I'm, you know, and just letting it go and not uh, modeling self-criticism. So we have some work to do ourselves on this. (laughs) I think, you know, honestly, I mean, I think that's the best way that um, parents can help kids is by modeling it themselves. Yeah. You have a lot of exercises for teens in your book, and I encourage everyone to grab a copy. But I want you to tell us why right now in particular, this is such an important topic. What are teens struggling with that that you and I did not experience? I mean, we know social media, we've talked about that, but but what, what in particular? Well, we know that about a quarter of all teens suffer some kind of severe impairment or distress, whether it's anxiety or depression or um, cutting or, or something else. It's about a quarter of teens. And we also know that from that, that these rates of depression and suicide attempts have increased dramatically in the last decade or so. So for example, from 2012 to 2015, depression increased 50% among girls and 21% among boys. And then in 2014, compared to 2007, three times as many girls and uh, twice as many boys took their own lives. Mm-hmm. Um, things have just gotten a whole lot worse, a whole lot worse in the last um, in the last decade. And you know, we can come up with all kinds of ideas as to why. Uh, personally, I think social media has at least something to do with it, if not a lot to do with it. But but things are, you know, teens today are really stressed, are really stressed. And, um, and so we, we, you know, we, uh, you know, from where I stand, we need to help them in every way we can. If you were parenting your girls at this moment, where would you start? And then tell us how we can follow up with you. That's a great question. <laughs> um, I would start by taking a, either taking a self-compassion class myself um, as an adult or getting a, the self-compassion workbook. Um, there's one that's pub- that was published just about a year and a half ago or so. 
um, by Kristen Neff and Chris Germer, and it's a mindful self-compassion workbook. And you can get that on Amazon, and that's for adults. Also, um, the website centerformsc.org is a website um, that is Kristen Neff and Chris Germer um, started the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. And all kinds of courses and workshops are offered through there. Um, these days, since COVID, there have been a lot of free offerings, um, meditations several times a day that are for free. Um, and then there are other uh, more extensive workshops and courses that are offered. I, um, at our center at University of North Carolina, Frank Porter Graham um, Child Development Institute, we have a program where we teach adults also, and we offer courses uh, a couple times a year. And um, that website is selfcompassion.web.unc.edu. And I'll put those links in the show notes as well so people can follow up. Something you said earlier struck me. Teens have to practice this. Adults have to practice this. It's not like one day you say, I'm going to be self-compassionate. I'm going to quit criticizing myself. It, it doesn't happen like that, right? Most of the time, yes. Yeah, 95% of the time it doesn't. Although I will say that once, for, for a lot of people, there's it's almost like a light switch. It's like there's this awareness that happens like, Oh, I, I don't have to, I don't have to do this because I think a lot of people feel like they have to beat themselves up that if they don't, if they're not hard on themselves, then they're just going to um, not be successful, that they won't be motivated, that they, you know, that they'll just, you know, spend their lives lying on the couch, eating chocolate, watching Netflix all day long, <laughs> you know, but we actually have research studies that show that that's not true. When you're self-compassionate, actually, you um, are more motivated to um, take on new challenges and to work hard because you don't have that fear of failure. Mm -hmm. um, you know that if you don't, if you don't succeed, that it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you were successful at that particular venture. So there's this awareness that happens that I think is pretty key. But then to get into the habit of um, being kind to yourself, um, it does help to practice. And, and we have formal practices and informal practices. So, and we teach those in our classes and also in the books. I hope... I mean, I know people heard something that sparked. I, I've, I've been sparked quite a bit in just what you've said today. And so I just kind of want to summarize. So the first thing we have to do as parents of teens, or if you have, you're an aunt and uncle of a teen, or if you have a, you're a grandparent of a teen or a teacher, we have to be model self-compassion ourselves. So if we're constantly criticizing ourselves and beating ourselves up, we're not teaching them anything that's helpful. And the second thing is that you use mindfulness, tools of mindfulness to become aware of the critic that's going on in your head. And then you teach teens how to do the same process, how to use mindfulness to stop and listen and say, I don't have to identify with that voice in my head. And then the third thing is to learn some tools and techniques to be kind to yourself. Like you gave the example of how would you talk to a friend could you say that same thing to yourself? 
Mm-hmm. So those are good places to start. And then I really encourage people to follow up with you and to read the book and to do the exercises and to start helping our teens because those numbers that you shared with us are, are they're frightening. Yeah, they really are. They're really frightening and um, they're terrifying and completely unacceptable, you know, um, completely unacceptable. And so this is why, this is why we do this work. We have, um, you know, around 200 teachers trained right now internationally in our teen self-compassion program. And um, this is why we, you know, I've written these books because um, we just want to get the message out there that to teens that they it doesn't have to be this hard. Yeah. And I love the research from you and from uh, Neff. That was so surprising to me when I first read that and you just reiterated it, that we think that we have to be hard on ourselves and hard on our kids to get success. And then if we're not, mm-hmm. we're going to have, you know, failed lives and failed kids' lives. And really, the, the research is, is so compelling in the other direction, that when we show compassion, we actually form strong and healthy selves and healthy teens. So thank mm-hmm. you for, for sharing that with us again. And it's a good reminder for me, and I hope lots of parents out there. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I always enjoy talking about this. <laughs> well, thank you all for joining us today. And I hope you'll visit us on the website at www.apracticalidealist.com. All the links to the show will be in the notes of that podcast. And if you learned something today, please share the show with someone who needs to hear it. And as always, when you rate and review the show, it helps others find us. I hope you have a great week.